Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Communion with Christ. All right, well, as we begin chapter 14, you need to know that we're very, very close to the most significant event in all of human history, and that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as I said, at the end of the service, we're gonna remember Christ's death. We're gonna remember Christ's death because you're gonna come up and you're gonna grab the cup, you're gonna grab the, the, the bread, the cup that represents his shed blood, the bread that represents his broken body, and we're gonna remember, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul wrote, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so we're gonna remember Christ's death at the end of the service, but that's not all we're gonna remember. We're also gonna remember Christ's resurrection because as you come forward and as you receive the elements, we're gonna be able to experience the presence of Jesus Christ in this place. And by the way, when you experience the presence of Jesus, does that mean that he's dead or alive? You tell me. He's alive, he's alive from the grave. He's reigning in our hearts, those of us who have submitted to him as Lord and as Savior. So we're excited about doing that. But today we're gonna start in verse one and we're gonna plow through verse by verse because that is our tradition here in this church all the way through verse 25 today. And so if you're looking at Mark 14:1, just say amen. amen. Okay, so here we go. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Now I gotta stop you right there and I gotta ask, where are we in the Bible? And Mark just told us. He said, we are two days away from the feast of Passover. Now by, by God's grace, we get 20 or 30 visitors every single weekend at our three services. And so many of you are new to the Bible and so you don't know what Passover means. Okay, most of you I think do, but here's what it means. Passover is an annual dinner that reminded the Jews how God miraculously delivered their ancestors from Egyptian slavery. And so every year in the month of Nisan, Nisan is the first month on the Jewish calendar. And so every year on the 14th day of Nisan, after the sun went down, uh, Passover would begin. And on that day, they would uh, have a, a dinner. And during that dinner, they would celebrate how God miraculously delivered their ancestors from Egyptian slavery. That's one day. The Passover lasts for one day. Again, first month, Nisan in the Jewish calendar corresponds March, April with our Gregorian calendar. That's why Easter is always near Passover. And so one day is the Passover celebration, and that's followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for seven days and it celebrates the same thing. The Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorates how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, listen to this, in haste. And as they were making their way, how many of you have ever read the second book of the Bible, the Exodus? Okay, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrates the Exodus of Israel from Egypt in haste and as they made that exodus, they only ate unleavened 
bread. Bread without yeast, of course, leaven in the Bible representing evil. So where are we in the Bible? We are two days from these two very significant Jewish feasts. Jesus is a Jew. He's gonna celebrate the feasts. And so look again at verse one. It says, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and do what to him? Kill him. They're gonna kill him, but what they don't realize is that by the foreordination of a sovereign God, Christ, our Passover lamb, is gonna willingly die for us. More about that later. And so they're, they're waiting in stealth to arrest him and kill him. Verse two, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar or a riot from the people. And so very, during this very important week in Jerusalem, the leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, elders, and scribes, they got together, they met, in order to plan the arrest and the execution of Jesus of Nazareth. These guys hated Jesus, and they wanted nothing more than to rid Israel of the one that they believed was a false Messiah, a false miracle worker, someone who did tricks or miracles by the power of Satan. That's what they would say. And so they're ready, they're, they've had it up to here with Jesus and all of his talk about love and all of his miracles and they want him dead. But they gotta be careful with their timing because right now it is soon gonna be the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jerusalem has swelled to hundreds of thousands of people, many of them are fascinated with Jesus, they're fascinated with his miracles and so if the Sanhedrin comes in and arrests Jesus during this point, during this week, it would absolutely cause a riot in Jerusalem. And the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, they know that a riot in Jerusalem during Passover is gonna bring the wrath of the Roman Empire down upon them. They don't want that. So what are they doing? The Sanhedrin, they're waiting in Jerusalem over here for just the right moment to pounce, to arrest Jesus by stealth. They're gonna do it at night. They're gonna have him, as we're gonna see, uh, be betrayed by one of his own. And so you go down from Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, and then you go up the mountain, the, the, the Mount of Olives, and you go over to a little village called Bethany, two miles away from Jerusalem, they're waiting in Jerusalem to pounce on Jesus, but Jesus is in Bethany, and he's been invited to a very special dinner that's being given in honor of his name. And so that's where we pick it up today in verse three. It says, and while Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of who? Okay, so Simon the leper. Did you know that he only appears right here? in this story in the Gospels. We don't know anything about Simon the leper, but here's what we do know. He's not a leper, he's an ex-leper, right? Because if this guy had leprosy, he would not be in a house inviting guests over for a party. He would be out isolated over in a leper colony somewhere, yelling out, unclean, unclean, don't come around me. Okay, and so no doubt, Jesus healed this man of his leprosy, changing his rotting flesh into baby smooth skin, 
And Simon is so overjoyed at what the Lord has done for him, he throws a party, he has a special dinner for Jesus at his house in Bethany. And so we see that Jesus goes there and it says in verse three that as the Lord was reclining at a table, okay? So remember, not sitting at a Western high table like the one you're gonna sit at this afternoon when you have dinner in your home with your family or at a restaurant. No, first century Judaism, triclinium, a U-shaped, low to the ground um, table. And so what are they doing? They're not sitting, they're reclining. And so I'm not gonna get down because I'm not gonna be able to get up. So they're like <laughs> this, right? And then this, the next guy's like this, all the way around. They're just lounging around. And Simon, the ex-leper's house. And so that's where they're at. And it says in verse three, something then very special happens. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And so I want you to imagine this scene, okay? Let's just park right here for a little while. This is so cool. I want you to imagine Jesus. And he's hanging out, reclining at the triclinium at Simon the ex-leper's home. And he's probably saying, hey Simon, how's it been going since I cured you? And he's like, Jesus, look at this. He rolls up his sleeve, smooth as a baby's bottom. Thank you so much. I mean, imagine if your flesh was rotting and then all of a sudden it's clean. He had a lot to be grateful for. And then not only that, but the Bible says that Lazarus was there. Okay, so when you study John 12, along with Mark 14, you get a complete picture of the party at Simon the ex-leper's house. So Lazarus is there. Do you guys remember Lazarus? What just happened to Lazarus not too long ago? Jesus raised him from the dead. Hey, Lazarus, how's it been going since I raised you from the dead? Uh, pretty good, you know, it was better in paradise. But I understand you wanted me to come back, and so I'm here. Thank you, I get to die twice now. Whatever they were saying, you know, <laughs> as they're reclining around the table. And then not only that, John 12 says that Lazarus' two sisters were there, Mary and Martha, right? You guys tell me, what's Martha doing? What she's always doing, she's serving. Busy bee, you know, making dinner. And then all of a sudden, Mary comes in. Mary of Bethany. She comes in, and she had to have thought before she entered the room, how can I honor Jesus at this special dinner? How can I honor my Lord? I mean, he healed my friend Simon of his leprosy. He raised my brother Lazarus from the dead. He's changed my life. I believe he's Messiah. I believe he's the King of Israel. I wanna honor him. I want to, I don't have to, I want to Oh yeah, my alabaster flask. And she goes and she finds her alabaster flask, a flask filled with fragrant oil, which was made, the Bible says, of pure nard. What does that mean? That means that it was uh, from the spikenard plant, which is found in the Himalayan mountains in India. So this stuff 
was imported from India all the way to Israel and it was very expensive. Verse five tells us that this alabaster flask filled with pure nard, this special ointment, it was worth over 300 denarii. Guess how much that is? In that day, in that culture, it was worth one year's wages for the common laborer or the soldier. And so there she is with her essential oil. You ladies think you spend a lot of money for your essential oil? (laughs) One year's wages. And she breaks it open and she pours it on the Lord's head as he's sitting around the triclinium, as he's hanging out, sweet smelling oil flowing down his hair, flowing down his beard. And it's not just his head that she anoints. In John's gospel, it says that Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the what? The feet of Jesus as well. So his head and his feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. Sometimes I wonder why. Why she wipe her feet with her hair? Well, obviously she wanted that sweet smell to stay with her for a while. That experience of this great act of worship to hang out with her for a while. Ladies and gentlemen, we're the ecclesia, we're the called out bride of Christ. When we come together and we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, there's a fragrance, there's a sweet smell, there's a presence that we get to enjoy. This is an act of worship to honor her king and it says the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. And so she anoints his head, she anoints his feet, She's drying his feet with her hair and it's an incredible act of worship. And that leads you to your first point today. If you're taking notes, in order to honor the Lord, Mary, what's the word? Freely, everybody say freely. Gave her what to him? Her best. Again, Mary's thinking, how can I honor my Lord? Oh yeah, my alabaster flask. And and she doesn't even think twice. She breaks it, a year's wages, breaks it open and pours it over the head of Jesus Christ. Two things stand out to me in this text. The first thing that stands out to me is that Mary of Bethany gave her best to Jesus Christ. I have no doubt in my mind that her alabaster flask worth one year's wages was by far the best material possession that she owned. And yet she said, I'm gonna give it to my king. So she gave her best to the Lord. But not only that, the second thing that stands out to me is that she gave it to the Lord freely. Nobody's twisting her arm. Nobody's putting her on a guilt trip to give. She just breaks it open and she gives it freely of her own accord. And that is an amazing attitude, ladies and gentlemen, for us to emulate 2,000 years later. And I'm not saying that you gotta go empty your bank account, you know, and give a year's wages to the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying to you and what I've told myself this week is that I, you, we need to give our very best to Jesus Christ. Do you believe he's worthy of that, our best? I do, absolutely, 100%. He's worthy of our best. Not half-hearted, not little bit, you know, and the reason, the reason 
I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this right now is because I know in a crowd this size, some of you have let your hearts become cold to the Lord. You put him on the back burner. Church is just a religious ritual. You're just here because you're gonna check a box to try to make yourself feel better about yourself. I'm glad you're here, don't get me wrong, but what you need to do is you need to ask God, get on your face before the Lord and ask his spirit to breathe on the embers of your heart so that you can become hot spiritually once again for him and you can start putting Jesus first in your life. First in worship, first in giving, first in serving. We need, ladies and gentlemen, personal revival and we need revival in this church. And when that happens, watch out. When that happens, watch out. Because when a revival occurs in a local church, when we study Christian history, it spills out to a spiritual awakening that affects the whole city. And so she freely gave it. We need to give our best freely. And that leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, like Mary, let's freely give our best to the Lord when we worship and when we give and when we serve. You see what we're doing here? You know, I, I taught the context to you and now we're making application. Here's why, because we're not a church that goes verse by verse just so we can all get a bunch of big head knowledge and know a lot about the Bible and try to impress people. That's not the heart of this church at all. The heart of this church is to share and preach and teach the word of God and then say, okay, how do we apply this to our lives? Lord, how do I apply this to my life? And so here's the application. We need to give our best to the Lord in worship. What does that mean? That means that you stop allowing yourself week after week after week to come into church late during the second, third, or fourth song, week after week after week. You stop yourself from standing there with your hands in your pocket, kind of like watching a performance, evaluating, I don't know if I like that song or not. Hmm, man, that, that, that bass is a little bit too, too, too strong right now. What's with all this haze? and all these lights, what's up with this? What, 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 what's, you, know, that, you, you know what you are? You're a Pharisee. That's what the Pharisees did. They just stood and they criticized. What happens when you stand and you criticize? You, you say, I'm up here, everybody else is down here because it's not being done the way you like it to be done. That is not the attitude of Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany's attitude is, I wanna honor my Lord. And so she gave her best. What does that mean for us? That means we try, I know it's hard, those of you who have kids running around, it's so hard to get them all here and get them checked in and get here, but man, the Lord is worth it. Try, try a little harder to get here before the first note or the first song. And before you come, prepare your heart prayerfully so you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have the right attitude. And from the first note of the first song, you're like, Jesus, this is not for anybody else. This is me and you right now. And I'm singing to you and I'm worshiping you and I'm praising you because that's the attitude of Mary of Bethany. You give your best, I give my best during worship, whether we feel like it or not. And then we give our best in our giving. That means that we don't pay all of our bills first and then if there's anything left over, we may give it to the Lord, we may not. No, that means that as soon as we get paid, God, you get my first fruits. You get my best. 
Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. What does that mean? That when you, God, when you give God your best, what does he do? He blesses you with material and immaterial blessings so much so you have to say, God, I've got all I need. That's the Christian life. I'm not teaching a health, wealth, prosperity gospel here at all. What I'm saying is just teaching what the Bible says. You give God your best. He said, I'll take care of all your needs. Not your greeds, but your needs. Put God first in your worship. Put God first in your giving. Put God's first in your service. Give your best freely. What does that mean? That means that, again, you prepare yourself before you come to church and serve prayerfully. You're filled with the Spirit. And so your attitude is not, I gotta do this under compulsion. Uh, but, but it's more like, hey, praise the Lord. I don't have to, I get to. Hey, welcome to Calvary. And you're smiling instead of, welcome to Calvary. You know? And by the way, let me just say, for 14 and a half years, we have been so blessed in this local church with a group of servants that have a great attitude that absolutely blows me away. So all of our ministry partners, can we thank them right now for what they do? I'm gonna join you and thank you. Join you in thanking them. Such a blessing. Man, we got such an awesome core group of people here who worship and give and serve Jesus with their all. Not doing it for me or for another pastor, they're doing it for Jesus Christ and we get to do it together to the Lord. And, and I just wanna say that attitude and that spirit here, is, it's, it's always been really good and I, I look forward to getting even better. Mary had the right attitude, but there was some people at the dinner, not so much. All right, look at verse four. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, right, they're all ticked off. Why was the ointment wasted like that? Okay, stop right there for a minute. Are you kidding me? It was poured out on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they're saying that it's wasted? And of course, there's people in your life people that don't get you, friends, neighbors, family members, they don't understand all this evangelical Christianity. They think that all the money that you give and all the time that you spend serving, that is just a waste. Well, here, here's, here's what you need to know. A hundred years from now, you'll be so happy that you gave to the Lord every area of your life. And a hundred years from now, if they don't repent, it's not gonna be good. Keep an eternal perspective and so why was this ointment wasted like that? This ointment, verse five, could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded Mary of Bethany. According to John's gospel, guess who it was who said this? Judas. I wonder why. Here's why, because John chapter 12 tells us Judas was a thief and he used to embezzle funds from Christ's ministry. Now, let me tell you something. Stealing from a church is about as low as you can go, but stealing from Christ's ministry, right? Whenever Jesus is not looking, there's Judas, and he's putting his hand in the bag. How many of you guys know Jesus is always looking, whether you think he's looking or not? 
And I'm, t- I'm telling you, if, if you've stolen something from your workplace or from someone else, you need to give that thing back. You need to go and humble yourself in repentance. You say, I'll lose my job. It's better to lose your job and do what's right than just continue on. Thou shalt not steal was important in the old covenant and it's important in the new covenant as well. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you know, when this, when I share things like this, none of this is in the notes. That's why I think this is probably a prophetic word for somebody right now. When I share stuff like this and it seems awkward, what you need to know is that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God loves you so much that he'll use a guy like me to to bring conviction into your life so that you'll get it right so that you can be restored and have that peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace that surpasses all understanding is way more important than any money that you took that wasn't yours. Just do the right thing. Don't be a Judas. And so let's see how Jesus responds to Judas in verse six. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you won't always have me. Verse 8. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. See, the Lord knows it's really soon. His death is right around the corner. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so when guys like me for the last 2,000 years, millions and millions of times over have stood in front of people and shared the beautiful story of Mary of Bethany and her incredible act of worship, every single time we have shared this for 2,000 years, Jesus' prophetic word has come true. And Mary of Bethany, someday we'll see her and we'll get to hear even some more details about her incredible act of worship. Verse 10 now. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests. Okay, now I want want you to notice the timing of this because we're gonna seek to answer the question, why did Judas betray Jesus? And so after he gets rebuked, (laughs) he's mad. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, They were glad and promised to give him what? Now you're talking Judas's language here. Promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so why did Judas betray the Lord? I imagine there's probably lots of reasons, but here's one. It's because Jesus did not meet his expectation of what a Messiah should look like. You see, Jesus has been telling Judas and his men, the other 11 guys, I'm, we're going to Jerusalem, guys. I'm gonna be killed. And they don't wanna hear it. They have seen the miracles, right? And they believe he's the Messiah. At least 11 of them did. And 
they, they want the kingdom now. They want the material kingdom now. In other words, they want Jesus to establish the kingdom, stop talking about death, establish the kingdom, bring it in so that we can sit on thrones and reign. They're all about power. They're all about glory. They're all about riches. And none of the 12 wanted those three things more than Judas. But now here we go again. Jesus is talking about his death. Mary's anointed me for my burial. And Judas has had it up to here, plus he gets rebuked, so he's mad. Plus he knows the kingdom is not coming in. And so he's thinking, that's it, I've had it. There's not gonna be a kingdom. And no kingdom means no riches for me. Why am I following this guy anyway? I'm out. Right, Jesus did not meet his expectations of what a Messiah should be. And I'm just wondering how many people are in churches today and they're there to get something from Jesus in terms of material prosperity. And when Jesus doesn't come through and make them rich, they're like, I'm out. I don't need this anymore. And they never even were a true disciple. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whether that means you're rich, poor, middle class or whatever, that doesn't mean anything. What, what matters is that we follow the Lord in good times and bad times, whether he meets our expectations or not, because it's not about our will, it's about his will. Judas didn't get that. And so Judas is thinking, how can I get out of this and still benefit? So he goes to Israel's leaders to make a deal. He says, what will you give me? What will you give me if I hand him over to you, if I betray him into your hands? And they counted out how much? Do you guys remember? 30 pieces of silver. What do we learn from the life of Judas? Here's your next point. If you're taking notes, anyone can appear religious, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Oh, please get this. Anyone can appear religious. It doesn't mean they're saved. Judas hung out with Jesus for the better part of three years. He hung out with believers for the better part of three years. He was given a position of leadership he was the treasurer of the apostles for the better part of three years. He knew the right words to say. He appeared religious, but Jesus said, he's lost. If you want a, a verse, there's lots of verses. If you want a verse for that, it's John 6, 64. He was not saved. And so it makes me think of this guy, you remember him, Jesse James, the outlaw? Did you guys know that Jesse James' father was a Baptist minister and he died when Jesse was just three years old? But Jesse grew up in the Christian tradition and years later after his father's death, he was baptized in the church that his father founded. But here's the, the weird, sad and, um, irony of it all. Before his baptism, he robbed a bank and killed a man, okay? So he, he robs a bank and he kills a man and then he gets baptized and guess what? He kept robbing trains and banks. One report that I read says that he robbed 
a bank, he killed a bank cashier, and then later he joined the church choir. Okay, so this guy, this guy, can you imagine? Bam, bam, bam. And then I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, Jesse James. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection? Really? And then bam, 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 bam. And there, there he is in his robe. Amazing grace. <laughs> Does anybody think Jesse James was saved while he's killing people? Oh, he probably said the prayer, right? Because they make you say the prayer before they baptize you. You can say the prayer. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you need to hear this. You can say the prayer a hundred times. But if there's no heart change, you're not saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old life is gone, the new life has come. Do you see that? And so the question you gotta ask yourself is, has my life changed? Or am I continuing to, to commit the same sins over and over with no repentance like Jesse James? And that's why this verse is so important. God says through Paul, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, why would God say that through Paul? Here's why, because he's not willing that anybody should perish, because he loves you, because he really wants to have a relationship with you. And so that's why he inspires Paul to write to the church of Corinth, who had a lot of weeds with their wheat. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. In other words, ask yourself, has my life changed since I've come to Christ? Has the old passed away and the new life come? Do I have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart? Romans chapter eight, his spirit witnesses to our spirit teaching us that we're children of God. And again, I'm not saying all these things because it's an effort to earn heaven. No, it's Christ and Christ alone who saves us and then these things are an evidence that we have a relationship with him. If this makes sense, say, say yes or no, but say something to me, okay? And so I, I want you guys to understand, to hear it if you've never heard it before. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb, alone. Him alone. And you gotta stop trying, you gotta start trusting, you need to just come to Christ in complete, total faith and say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, but Jesus, you died in my place and you rose again. You're my only hope. And guess what happens? The Spirit of God comes in and he changes from the inside out. Verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, so here we are, the two days have passed. It's time for Passover. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, well, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the, what? Passover. The Passover. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, go to Jerusalem, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. He's like, how did Jesus know that? Follow him, verse 14. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You keep seeing this, Passover, Passover, Passover. Verse 15, 
and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. Verse 16, and the disciples set out, went into the city, found it just as he had told them, and they prepared for the what? The Passover. If you're new to the Bible, you gotta understand Passover before you understand the Lord's Supper. Okay, so I'm gonna say this as quick as I can. 80% of you have heard this. 20% of you haven't. But I just wanna defer to the 20% so that this is not just a ritual. So you know what you're doing here in a minute, okay? And so, bef- so after the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons in the book of Genesis, you turn to the next book, and it's the book of Exodus. The children of Israel have grown to over two million people. They're in Egypt, and they're slaves to the Egyptian government. How many, how many of you know that God hates slavery? Always has, always will. And they're in slavery, and so God says, I need to fix this, and so he sends Moses. Moses goes to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and says, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who are you? And no, <laughs> right? And so how many, of you, how many of you know God has a way of getting our attention? 10 plagues. And by the way, some of you guys have, have kids, and they're far from the Lord, and you're all stressed out and worried. Don't, don't be anxious for nothing. Just go to the Lord in faith and say, Lord, whatever it takes, get their attention. Let him do the work. You just love him, let God do the work. And so, 10 plagues, the last plague is the worst of all. It's the death angel. And so if Pharaoh doesn't repent and let God's people go, the death angel's coming, he's gonna fly over Egypt, he's gonna go into every house, he's gonna kill the firstborn sons. Now God knows that my people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in Egypt, and I don't want the death angel killing their firstborn sons, so he gives his people instructions. And the instructions are this, go take a Passover, take a lamb, a lamb of the first year without blemish, and I want you to sacrifice the lamb, slit its throat, drain its blood into a basin. Then I want you to take a leafy plant called hyssop, and I want you to dump it into the blood, and I want you to go to the the lintel and door frames of your house, and I want you to apply the blood of the lamb. By the way, what is that in the shape of? It's a cross, 1,500 years before Christ. And then what's gonna happen is the death angel's gonna come and judgment is gonna come, but I don't want you to be judged. I want you to take the lamb, I want you to roast it in fire. Just think about that for just a second. Uh, the, 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 the lamb, roasted in fire. I want you to eat the lamb. I want you to eat the bitter herbs. I want you to eat the unleavened bread. No leaven, no evil. Okay, I want you to do this. This is the first Passover meal. Israel says, yes, sir. They do exactly what God says. And guess what? The death angel came at midnight. How many of you guys know that, hey, right now we're in the age of grace, but judgment is coming are, are, you, are you hearing me? We're in an age of grace right now. God is so kind, but he can't, he can't allow this to continue indefinitely. Judgment will come. The death angel will come. 
The death angel came to Egypt at midnight. He went into the homes. He killed the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. And then he went to Goshen, Egypt, where the children of Israel were. He flew over the houses. And what did he see? He saw the blood of the lamb. And the death angel did what for those houses? Passed over, feast of Passover. And he did not bring judgment upon his people. And so a Pharaoh wakes up, his boy's dead. He hears what's going on. There's a cry in Egypt. He calls Moses, says, get out of here. And so Moses and the children of Israel, two point whatever million people, make a hasty exit from Exodus from Egypt, eating only unleavened bread. And, and then all of a sudden, Pharaoh changes his mind. And all of a sudden, there they are. They're at the Red Sea. And there's Pharaoh's army, right? And, and what does God do? He opens up the Red Sea. You guys seen Charleston Heston do it on TV. And then they go through. They're saved. And then here comes the army of the Egyptians. They're drowned. True story. How did the Jews remember that miraculously, a miraculous deliverance? The Passover meal. That is the meal that Jesus told his disciples to prepare. And so with all that information, now look at verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they reclined at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me one who's eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it's one of the 12, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. And by the way, they had no idea it was Judas. They were surprised when it was Judas because Judas appeared religious. Verse 21, he says, for the son of man goes as it is written of him. If you're new to the Bible, that's huge. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, Old Testament scriptures prophesying the suffering and the death of Messiah. The Son of Man goes as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Right? It's better not to be born than to live and go to hell. And Judas leaves. Now, everybody look at me. He leaves the building before communion. He's lost. What does this mean to him? And if he would have hung around, it would have been an empty ritual anyway. But he leaves. And now, verse 22, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood or my blood of the covenant. Luke tells us it's the new covenant. No longer an old covenant, sacrificing lambs, that's over with. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, what does he do? He uses two simple elements to illustrate a profound, profound sacrifice. And you, and you wonder why. 
you know, why does God become man and, and sacrifice himself on a cross? If you don't know the answer why, please, please hear this. It's because God is just and we deserve judgment. God is just and we all deserve judgment for our sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. And so why did the son of God hang on a cross? He did it in your place. Here's the good news right here. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The old covenant is now the new covenant. Little lambs, nope, now it's the lamb of God. And so when you come up here in a minute and you grab the cup, this represents the blood of your Passover lamb. And when you come up here and get the bread, it represents the body of your Passover lamb. Drinking it and eating it does not save you. Rituals can't save. It's your faith behind the elements. Are you with me this afternoon? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What this does, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that he's our Passover lamb. When we turn from our sins and turn to Christ alone for salvation, the spirit of God takes the blood of the lamb and applies it to the lintel and doorposts of our hearts. And then when judgment day comes, a just God looks into your heart. He sees the blood of Jesus, not your sin, the blood of Jesus, and his judgment passes over you. Instead of getting judgment, you get forgiveness. Instead of getting wrath, you get grace. Instead of getting separation from God forever, you get sweet communion with Jesus Christ. This represents the gospel better than anything in the world. And so if you're grateful for your Passover lamb, Jesus, and your salvation, let them know. Put your hands together.